You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Come on, breathe, baby. God damn it, breathe. God damn it, you bitch! You never backed away from anything in your life! Now fight! 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 Right now! Do it! Fight, god damn it! Fight! 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 Jeez, Dad, I'm up! Oh, God! You gotta start being so mean when I'm trying to get up for school. Oh, wait, so, oh, sorry, buddy. I had a flashback to when I was young when my father, who's not this Ed Harris, was trying to get me out of bed to go to school or whatever. We all been there. Welcome back. Under the sea for our third and final dip in the ocean for uh, 80s revisiting. Oh, I had to remember what the little catchphrase was I put on the little thing. 80s revisiting goes deep. As we talk about the abyss. Of course, I'm your host, Trey Harris. With me, as always, my submarine buddy as we're cramped tightly into the submarine deep under the ocean, mm-hmm. broadcasting live, Woo. Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Oh, whoa, 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 watch out. Whoa. <laughs> Titanic on the starboard bow. No, but anyway, welcome back, everybody. As we talk about James Cameron's oft-forgotten and, in my opinion, underrated classic, The Abyss. Two S's. I always think you should hold it a little longer than not just abyss. Yeah. Abyss. Just a little. Abyss-ses. Not a not a, hi- a snake hiss. Abysses. <laughs> abyss. What would be the plural of abyss? Abysses. 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 I don't what, know. What would that look like? A Two whole abysses. lot of S's. <laughs> An unusual amount of S's, I'd say. But anyway, The Abyss originally released to theaters on August 9th, 1989. IMDb says it's worth a 7.6. Rotten Tomatoes, however, critics say 89%, 83% audience, so, audience, 83% audience uh, approval, so, yeah, pretty good numbers. Uh, budget was estimated at $69.5 million, opened for 9.3, domestically ended up with 54.4, worldwide went on to gross over $90 million, and an additional $28.8 million in rentals, which I contributed to mm-hmm. once or twice. Uh, directed, of course, as we mentioned before, James Cameron. What did he do? Well, let me, let me remind you, he did Terminator 1 and 2, Aliens, Titanic, Avatar, Avatar 1, Avatar 2, Avatar 3, Avatar 4, Avatar 5, all coming out very shortly, apparently, still. He promises. So, uh, you know, we'll have a lot of Cameron in our faces for the next couple years, if that holds true. Uh, also, of course, written by James Cameron. Uh, also, he wrote Rambo First Blood Part 2, which we've covered on the podcast. Uh, wrote and directed Piranha 2. Something he probably likes to keep off of his resume <laughs> because of his profe- as, uh, how he is, I guess I should say. Uh, he also wrote Alien, Strange Days, and he's also writing Avatar and its quintilogy of films that it will eventually result in. Uh, starring my father, my film father, Ed Harris, as Virgil, Bud, Brigman, uh, of course, The Rock, Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind, Creep Show, The Right Stuff. Uh, and a veteran of the podcast, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio as Lindsay. Of course, most recently we just covered Scarface, and she was Gina. And we talked about her in that. Gina, damn Gina. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be racist? Okay, is, I'm asking if this is racist. If there were, if, you know, they all these black parodies. What mm-hmm. if they did a black parody of Scarface, but they called it Blackface, but it was actually a black guy? 
Would that be racist? Or because uh, black people are, you know, Keenan Ivory Wayans is no. doing it, it wouldn't be. Yeah, be I don't think it would be. It would be able to pass the PC muster. Of the I world. speak for the black community. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. We all I'm do. a dude playing a dude talking about <laughs> another dude. So, yeah, I guess in comedy it doesn't matter as long as you know it's a comedy and it's poking fun at itself. Right. It Comedians be, have some. It, well, unless you're uh, Michael Richards. Can bend. <laughs> right. But, well, uh, well, that wasn't comedy. <laughs> so. Yeah, but anyway, so Keenan Ivory Wayans, get your brother, get Marlon, and do blackface, and then you can have the scene where he's like, damn, Gina. Although, no, no, nah, nah, never mind. The window for this is over. Yeah. It, it would have to have been in the 90s. Yeah. Late 90s. This could have, bring you know, back some old. Yeah, it, it could have worked. Now it can't. Yeah. But anyway, of course, she was also in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and uh, Perfect Storm with uh, George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg. Also, Cameron Staple, Michael Bean as Coffee. Oh, no, thank you. I already had some. No, I'm good. Uh, but also, he was, of course, in Tombstone, Aliens, Terminator, and The Rock as well, where their role, him, him and Ed Harris's roles were sort of reversed, where in uh, The Abyss, he was the military guy that was basically went psychotic, whereas in The Rock, it was Ed Harris who was the military guy that went psychotic. Mm. Uh, depending on what you think of his point of view. I mean, he, in The Rock, he did have a good point. Sure. But his means were unjustified. Anyway, uh, Leo Burmester was Catfish. He was also in Devil's Advocate and Gangs of New York. He died in 2007. Uh, Todd Graff was Hippie, the one with the rat. Uh, he was also in Strange Days, an episode of The Nanny, and no credits since 2009. So, hey, wow. but you have to be in a James Cameron film, or two of them technically, since you were also in Strange Days, although he just wrote that one. Uh, hmm. John Bedford Lloyd was Jammer. He was most recently in The Bourne Supremacy and also in the Tom Hanks Denzel Washington 90s classic, Philadelphia. I think that was Hanks's first Academy Award win. I think for Philadelphia. Sounds about right. Uh, Kimberly Scott was One Night. Uh, she was also in Flatliner, Flatliners and Batman Forever. And last but not least, well, not last but not least, but uh, Dick Warlock was Dwight Perry. He was, uh, I've heard that name before. Yeah, because we talked about, you know, somebody being a Dick Warlock and giving magic, <laughs> you know, doing penis magic. Yep. Uh, but anyway, Dick Warlock, uh, he was the, he played Michael Myers in Halloween 2. He did Stunts in the Thing, Casino, and Spider-Man. And this guy's like 80-something years old. He's very old right now. But he was doing stunts until up until uh, the early 2000s, I believe. So, I actually have the page up. What was it? Uh, Spider-Man was his last one. So yeah, early, uh, 2002 was his last film with stunts. And uh, how old is he right now, Jesse? Still acting. Yeah. Um, how old is he now? He's. Uh, uh, they usually put it right. 1940, so 60 plus eight, uh, 16, 76. Yeah. So and Spider-Man was 2002, so he would have been 62. Doing stunts in Spider-Man, so yeah, well built, I guess, for yeah. know, or that line of work made him hard enough to be in it that long. Whereas, I guess that, that has to be long for a stuntman. I can't imagine it being uh, that being a tip a typical stuntman being in the being sixty two years old and still doing stunts as long as he's done them at least. Uh, but the score, last but not least, the score for this film was by Alan Silvestri. Uh, mm. He also did Pre uh, Predator and Roger Rabbit, two films we've previously Back to covered. The future. On, oh, that was Silvestri. Wasn't it? I'm not sure. Double check me. Or prove your, prove your statement. <laughs> Challenge. I thought it was, uh, maybe it was. Compo yep, there you yep, go. Yep. Uh, an, a horrible oversight on my part. Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> the more musically inclined of us. Uh, yeah. Uh, Alan Spetchley, Back to the Future, one of the most classic themes out there. Although, I'd say Predator's pretty classic. Da -da 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 -da. He did the we Delta Force. Oh, hey, there you go. A canon film, by the way. Cat's Eye. Oh, he did fan. Oh, Overboard. I'm just trying to think of. Yeah, I'd say Back to the Future is probably his opus. That's the one. For he's, sure. That's yeah. the one that's going to be 
most associated with him, which I conveniently left off for some reason. Oh, no, we were just talking. He did the score for uh, Super Mario Brothers. Yep. We were Place Jerry earlier. Goldsmith. Oh, and Richie Rich. He's for- done a lot. Yeah. Forrest He's done Gump. a lot of scores. Go, what's his most recent stuff? Most recent? He's yeah. still into it, so he did The Walk. The walk yeah. That was actually a really good score. Yeah. Red 2. The Avengers. Huh. So he came up with that theme song then. I, don't even, I can't even tell you the music from The Avengers. Oh, that little sting that plays like right when the credits hit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I love the Captain America thing, like the the Winter Soldier and see that one. I can't think of. (laughs) They did GI Joe as well. (laughs) The only GI Joe theme I know is you know the cartoon one. I was about to like try to mimic it, but it's it's mainly uh, talking. G.I. Joe. Oh, right, That's yeah. He did That's not the, do that one. That should have been in the movie. It should have been. But it wasn't. But anyway, two-sentence synopsis. Uh, people, uh, let me see. It's been a while since I watched this, and so now we're doing the podcast, but they were oil drillers, if I remember correctly, and they encounter aliens under the sea. Hmm. Okay, oil drillers for the government, period, encounter aliens under the sea. There we go. Two sentences. There we go. A little bit broken, but fuck it. This isn't an English podcast. Well, it is an English one. It's not a, it's not a grammar <laughs> podcast. Right. Let's put it to you that way. But yeah, The Abyss, I remember distinctly uh, being super excited for this movie, simply because at the time, 1989, it was PG-13, so I knew I'd get to see it in the theater without any questions being asked. So, <laughs> no one's asking uh, questions. Although I didn't get to see it at the theater because it was so fucking long that back in the day, when your parents will let you go into one movie and they go see what they'd want to see and they like basically use the movie as a babysitter to avoid having to pay a flesh and blood babysitter to like, okay, yeah, me and your father want to go see, you know, uh, Internal Affairs or whatever. I was trying to think of some movie. <laughs> That's uh, what they're going to see. Not a decent, uh, what am I thinking? Not a decent proposal. Something about uh, sex. Yes. Some, something that your fragile <laughs> young mind can't see. Right. Uh, I'm thinking of some Richard Gere, Kim Basing. Basic Instinct was a movie I'm trying to think of for some uh, reason. I don't know why I was getting less other tangent. But anyway. Yeah. So you're going to go see, you know, uh, whatever. Well, of course, back in the day, like, it seems today a lot of movie times tend to align. Like, the show times, there's always, everything kind of starts 10, 15 minutes with each other, for the most part, at least the theaters here that I've noticed. Uh, But back then, it was like, you know, if there's a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour movie, it'll play maybe three times a day back in the 80s. Whereas, you know, if there's an hour-and-a-half comedy or the two-hour drama that's still 30 minutes off, there's a huge gap there. So this was one that I remember like I being able to see because it, we couldn't find a showtime that worked out to where I could go see it and cuz mom didn't want to sit around and wait for 30 minutes or 45 minutes for my movie to be over. So, you know how that goes. But anyway, I uh, watched it a ton on VHS and of course again TN I think TNT was the big one that played this one a lot. It seems like it would be on all the time. And then when it came to DVD, a deluxe 2 disc edition special edition where it had, you know, they called it the special edition. It wasn't officially a director's cut. It's just the special edition. Added a ton of more footage in. I want to say anywhere between 18 to 30 minutes, somewhere around that, and that ballpark is pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's accurate. It's not precise. Uh, And then watching that one, that's the version I ended up watching a lot. That's the one I watched again for this podcast because that's the one. Mainly, it really fleshes out a lot more of the personalities of the people on the rig, so you kind of get a little more attached, you know, a little more backstory, a little more... To flesh those out to where they're not just background people being amazed at what's happening. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, or if you haven't seen it in a long time, or if you've never seen the special edition, I would highly recommend watch the special edition. 
I would imagine. I haven't looked for it on uh, and searched it on Amazon or anything uh, since I already had it. So I'm not sure what the kind of default edition is now. Because like RoboCop, if you just buy RoboCop, it's pretty much the X-rated version with the extra three seconds of footage. Yeah. It's not like, I think I told the story before, I had to save up $50 to get the Criterion Collection, thinking that it was going to have this massive amount of deleted scenes that were too brutal for the 80s. Nah, it was like three seconds of the dude flopping on the table and Ed 209 pumping some extra rounds in him. Uh. And imagine my dismay when I watched the whole movie, like, I didn't notice a single thing different. And then I had to go look it up on AOL... Right. That kind of internet. Damage my ears. Exactly. And then, of course, somebody picks up the phone. You answer the phone. Like, I'm online. You knock me off. Nick. All that kind of fun stuff before broadband. You youngins today don't know what it was like in the early days of the internet. Back when there was static on the TV. Yep. And people couldn't call if you were online. Yeah. <laughs> Some, I knew people that got, they loved it so much, they got two phone lines just so they could have a dedicated internet line. And... The regular one. I had that. You rich motherfucker. <laughs> well, we chose our investments. Yeah, as you said before. Wisely yeah. so in yeah. that regard. Online all the time. Especially when, you know, AOL. Remember at first it was like, oh, two hours free. Oh, people are staying online a lot. We'll yeah. give them 10 hours free, 12 hours free, 24 hours free, 72 hours free. 1,000 hours free. Because that shit went fast back. Like, yeah. It was so new. It was just like, I'm just chatting in this X-Files chat room. Oh, shit, it's 4 a.m. I've used all of our free time. My mom's going to be strangers. Exactly. Who knows what nefarious things were going on in the early days of AOL. No kidding. With no kind of oversight or anything for the most part. The dark net was everywhere. The internet was the dark net. It's crazy. It's dark. Very dark. Anyway, The Abyss. Uh, And of course, this is the third movie we talked about as we're talking about these, the the year of underwater films, 1989. Uh, This was the only one of the three we're talking about where the aliens weren't the villains. This one was straight up, you know, Walking Dead-esque uh, to where the real enemy isn't the aliens, it's the humans under the sea, trapped in an oil rig. Hmm. And then Michael Bean goes crazy. So, yeah, the different, you know, again, you have three underwater movies, two of them feature, well, they all feature aliens. And we'll get into the checklist at the end of the episode. But this one was definitely, A, the most unique in terms of that it wasn't uh, it was a malevolent alien it wasn't vicious and trying to attack us it was actually trying to save us and help people although it inadvertently kind of caused a submarine to crash and killed a lot of people but it was an accident they didn't mean it it wasn't an act of aggression like Michael Bean thought it was in this film but uh <clears throat> so it's you know it's this is like the E.T. of underwater films I guess in a sense yeah. because you know they didn't they this easily easily could have been a horror movie you know, you know, Cameron did Piranha 2. This could have been a Piranha 2. Yeah. In terms of like, oh, they're coming up from the depth and we got to stop them, but we can't do it without killing ourselves or something. But thankfully it didn't go that way because James Cameron is a good director and a good screenwriter. Unlike, well, even though Leviathan had a good pedigree mm. with the writer of Die Hard and the Fugitive and Cosmato- George Cosmatos, the director of First Blood, and, you know, they didn't have untalented people per se, but... The Abyss has James Cameron writing, directing, which huge, two huge feathers in the cap for it. And you have a cast led by Ed Harris. Yeah. That, these days you don't see him in much, but I mean, Ed Harris is, a, one, I think, one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood. Uh, especially, I mean, he doesn't even have a freaking Oscar. He was nominated for, he had a string of like nominations, like nominated Apollo 13. Four of them. And, Always like best supporting for the most part. Oh no, he did get it for. Uh, I mean, he didn't win it, but he best actor for Pollock. 
But yeah, Best Supporting, Apollo 13, Truman Show, and The Hours, which I never even saw that one. That was one with All him. nominations. Yeah. That he he should have won for Apollo That's 13. A shame. Or the Truman. Either any one of them, because the dude is a fantastic actor. Uh, I always love Ed Harrison. You lost uh, to Mel Gibson. No, wait, that's Best Picture. Oh, best Picture. Uh, about to say, like, Best for, Actor, Nicholas Cage. Was that, wait, that was for, oh, supporting. Oh, oh, was, oh he was supporting? For, yeah, Apollo 13. Oh, yeah. Kevin Spacey in Usual, Usual Suspects. Suspects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a good role, but uh, <laughs> uh, I would have given it to Ed Harris because he is phenomenal. But always, the role I always think of, when I think about Harris, I think of him as The Rock, just because he was so... Like the a sign of a good villain is always one. It's like Magneto. Magneto, I think, is one of the most perfect villains out there because if you really think about it, you can empathize with what he's doing, why he's doing it. But of course, he's doing horrible things in the name of honestly a, a good cause. But he's going about it all the wrong way. And Ed Harris in The Rock, at least, and and he's he's such a good villain. He just needs to be a villain in more things. Although he's really kind of old. Now. I mean, he's really old now. Oh, I mean, uh, Snowpiercer. He was in Snowpiercer. Mm. Yeah, you know, uh, not that's not a spoiler, but he's only he's in the what, credits. Sixty-six. Yeah, but I mean, Something you know, like for like that, for he, I mean, of course he could still do. Not saying he can't. Yeah, but uh, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa! He's in he's in Westworld. Is that actor? Holy shit! Is he gonna be the uh, the uh, Michael Crichton? I mean, the uh, Yul Brynner character. That's gonna be interesting. You can look at that freaking cast: Ed Harris, Anthony Hopkins, James Marsden, Thandi Newton. Wow. He is the man in black. Okay, he must be the... Because I know he's not Johnny Cash. He must be the... Because uh, in the uh, original Westworld, it was just called the Gunslinger. Yul Brynner's character. Uh, okay. Not to be confused with the Dark Tower, which is coming out soon. Uh, which hopefully will be awesome. But anyway, interesting. That, that could be really... That, I, I'm excited for that now. I had no clue that him and Anthony Hopkins were in that. So, And it's a series, too, so that should be really interesting. Does it say what channel it's going to be on by chance? Oh, um, never mind. HBO. HBO. Hell yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Two thumbs up. That's where preachers should be, not on AMC. But anyway, uh, The Abyss is just, especially, again, I told you we're building up as we're going through these three films that we, we've covered on this little uh, Age Visit It Goes Deep. We're, we're getting better and better each week, and this is the peak. Uh, it's just, most, you know, most people, when they think about James Cameron instantly, most people think Aliens, Terminator, probably Terminator, I would imagine, if you're a male, and then Titanic, if you're a female, most likely. That's just, hey, that's just how it is. Titanic was a big hit because dudes took their uh, lady friends to see it because of DiCaprio. Hmm. I, it's, to me, it's not his, Cameron's best work. It's beautiful. It's a Cameron film because the main point of the whole movie is love, which, just like in The Terminator, you know, I think Terminator 2 ends with if a Terminator could find out the value of human life, which is love, that, you know, maybe we can too. Well, every James Cameron movie boils down to a love story, and this one's no different because... As we get to the countdown, the checklist later on, a couple on the rocks solidifies their relationship under the sea due to traumatic alien circumstances. So, but again, James Cameron, love, it's bound to happen. It's the theme of every single one of his films, which not complaining, but that's how you can tell it's a James Cameron film. But yeah, I remember watching this repeatedly and just like, my bro this is one my brother didn't, at the time, when we were kids, didn't like. He probably likes it now, I imagine, that he's older and got some salt on him. Uh... But it was just like, I just always really, I personally just liked this movie, just how different it was, and just it's just visually striking, especially for its time. Again, 1989. This is, you know, right before Jurassic Park. This is, you know, so this is one of the last fully kind of practical for the most part, although there is some, like, you know, uh, rear projection type stuff, which is still practical effects and everything. 
And it, you know, it, certain things look dated, but for the most part, this film really holds up, especially because they're actually filming underwater. Yeah. Unlike Leviathan, where they're dry shooting and it's supposed to be underwater. <laughs> and when you watch it in 1080p, it's blatantly obvious they're walking around outer space more so than under the sea. <laughs> but there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of behind the scenes drama that went on in this film, and I'll get into that right now, actually. Uh, in fact, this film was hell on everybody involved in making just because, A, it's James Cameron, but which means, for those of you who might not know kind of a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, he's an exceptional perfectionist on his films. Like he has, he's, like, he's not quite to the point of Kubrick doing you know, 200 takes for just one line of dialogue, but he, like, he, dem- like he expects, he does things until they're perfect in his mind for him to be satisfied with them, which... You should, I mean, if you're directing, I think you should, but not at the expense of nearly drowning Ed Harris. Uh, of course, at the end, where he's in the suit, where it fills with water, where which is actually based on a real technology, uh-huh. where uh, he's, you know, they're basically they, in the lines in the movie, the exposition in the movie is we all breathe water for nine months when we're, before we're born, before you know we come out of our mom or whatever. So basically, it's supposed to be you know breathing amniotic, amniotic fluid or whatever it's called, based hmm. on real science. They've proven that it works on rats, as they demonstrate in the movie. Uh, more on that in a bit but basically they had him in that rig and James Cameron gets his shot and walks away and Ed Harris is sitting there like you know can't speak his, his helmet is filled with water gets up and walks over and I think he actually punched through a punch at James Cameron after the fact because he literally nearly drowned wow uh, he ran out of air gave a signal I'm just reading this is verbatim from uh, IMDB uh, gave a signal for oxygen safety dies are, oh excuse me maybe it wasn't okay excuse me I thought it, the story I always heard was that it was this scene. It might have been a different scene, excuse me, as I'm reading this, but it was apparently when they were actually just underwater uh, in the tank shooting. But a safety diver got hung up on a cable when he gave the signal for oxygen, so couldn't get to him, you know, just like a movie, like, oh no, I'm trapped, I can't get to him, which happens later (laughs) on in the movie when Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio drowns, basically, in a sense. Uh, So... uh, uh, Let me see. Another crew member eventually saw what was happening, came over and gave... Ed Harris a regular so he could breathe so he didn't die and uh, in fact later that evening uh, on his way home Ed Harris broke down and cried because he felt he literally felt he almost died like right like it was I guess he you know in that sense he made peace with himself with God or whatever and thought this might be it okay excuse me there was another the point where he threw the punch was another was at the point where he had the amniotic fluid on it I have my stuff backwards my notes backwards Mm -hmm. and there's a shit ton of notes the most notes ever for any podcast that we've done, is on the abyss. Three pages. Normally, they peak at two at the most. Right. One and right. a half. Most are just one page for a lot of them. There's yeah. a shit ton of stuff about this movie, so let me get moving. <laughs> In fact, it was so brutal filming that Ed Harris publicly refused to speak about his experiences working on the film, pretty much saying that he'll, he'll never talk about the film because he wanted to black it out from his memory. Wow. Uh, the, and the nickname for the film on the set was The Abuse. <laughs> that the cast like, <laughs> called it themselves. Wow. Uh, let me see. Was it worth it? Mm, well, I'm sure, you know, based on what they got paid, we're nearly dying, that's not worth nothing. But, you know, they're all alive today, thank goodness. So, well, excuse me, most of them are alive today as some of the cast yeah. has passed away. <laughs> not to disrespect those. But, uh, there was, um... But not because of the movie. As we, we open with the resuscitation scene, which is the, one of the first things I think about when I think about this movie... And uh, for the most part, Ed Harris wasn't even act. If you watch that scene, and after after I tell you this, and if you happen to rewatch it, you'll kind of notice it. The directing in the scene's a little off as opposed to how Cameron normally directs, simply because uh, 
basically Ed Harris wasn't acting to Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio for a lot of them because they did so many takes of the res actual resuscitation, the compressions, and him, he actually hit her one time, you know, with approval, like, you know, we're going to get into the scene, we're going to do this. Yeah. And then she was getting emotionally distraught having to do this scene and having people push on her chest for hours at a time that she stormed off the set. So you'll see there's, they do the... Uh, <laughs> They do the first-person perspective for a couple of times as they're doing the chest compressions. Oh, yeah. And then there's even a real—it's obviously B-roll where they're shooting the scene and, like, it's shaky cam moving. It's doing yeah. a shot, and it moves and gets another shot because she stormed off the set because she was pissed off at James Cameron <laughs> for having to do this. And I mean, it's a very emotional scene. I mean, if Ed Harris was screaming at me like that while I'm laying on the ground supposed to be dead, like, I'd be scared to death. I wouldn't want to go through that for hours at a time. So it was said Winstead. Oh, did I say, oh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. That's because <laughs> I saw... Just before people start yeah, yelling you. at the radios. Somebody, I'm sure somebody did, so apologies. Yeah, she was, I, got, I got 10 Cloverfield Lane on the brain. because I, I We were talking before the podcast I did watch that. about... Oh. I did watch that. I liked it. Yeah, I, I liked it too. a lot. But we'll talk about that maybe later in the Especially Back to the from, Future segment. Especially from a film... As a filmmaker's point of view. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But more on that later. But uh, in fact, this is cool. The cast members had to become certified divers before filming began, which if you're trying to do that out of pocket that's expensive so hey you get paid to make a film and you get a free you know scuba diving certification that's like a two thousand a thousand dollar value i yeah. take it that's a cool perk is all i'm saying not <laughs> worth nearly dying over but it's uh worth uh you know it's a cool extra to get sure but anyway uh very few scenes in the film involve stunt people uh in fact even the scene where ed harris is dragging mary elizabeth uh, i'm just gonna what's her name in the film i forgot Lindsay. when he's driving dragging Lindsay back <laughs> Because her name's a tongue twister. Yes. Uh, when you say it, how many times I'm trying to say it? Mim, yeah. M-E-M. Or Mary, Mary M. Mary. Or Mary and Mary, Mary. Anyway, Lindsay. but uh, the scene where he's dragging her body back, he's actually dragging her without a regulator. She's holding her breath, being dead, while they're filming that scene. And if uh, you watch that scene, it's a long scene. Yeah. She's holding her breath for at least a minute, which, go to your bathtub, try to hold your breath for a minute if you're not, pr you know, if you don't swim a lot. It's yeah. It's not as easy as you think. Like, I can no. hold my breath a minute. If you know you're shooting a movie underwater, you're going to practice beforehand. For of course. Sure. But then also, you know, th but now think about having to hold your breath for that time and not move. You know, you can't hold yeah, your nose. Yeah, yeah. You just have to be, not move and hold your breath. That might be easier. Maybe than, it would be. Than, you know, trying to move your arms and stuff, you know, exhausting yourself. That's true, because if you're just, you probably, your body would use less oxygen. Yeah, so. you're just calm and, you know, meditative. I want to be calm if I know I'm in a 30-foot tank of water being drugged. I'd be like, eh. all right, cut, cut. You're moving. You're tense too much. I'm fucking scared, man. You're surrounded Ed, by Ed, safety. Oh, Ed, so was Ed Harris, Jesse, and he nearly died. He lived. Yeah, he <laughs> broke down. And Ed Harris broke down and cried. He lived. But anyway, uh, the scene where the water tentacle coming out of the moon pool was written <laughs> so that they could remove it if the special effects didn't work out. Because again, pre-Jurassic Park, this, is that, this was the big shot of the film. The big visual effect shot was the water tentacle coming out and, you know, mimicking her face and all that stuff. Mm, yeah. But camera, like, they shot that first so that the special effects company could have the most time available to work on that effect before the film was finished. And if it, they didn't finish it, they could have worked around it. So, which when you watch that and you kind of think about it, you could see how they could easily leave that out and just add some dialogue about them just wanting to nuke the alien would be perfectly fine. Uh, which still makes sense, I should say, in the context of the film. Uh, yeah, and of course it was done by ILM, one of the uh, first ones they ever did. Uh, oh, I stapled these sheets. I normally don't do that. So, But uh, they actually, the same basic effects that they pioneered in this film with the water tentacle, 
they would, of course, then use a few years later in 1991 for Terminator 2 Judgment Day for the Liquid Metal yep. Terminator. So this is almost like a Practice precursor. Run. Yeah, basically. Uh, the scene where the... Uh, I already said that one. Uh, did I put that on here twice? I just get so into <laughs> reading all this stuff. Okay, here we go. Here's the, here's the science behind the uh, <clears throat> oxygenated fluorocarbon fluid mm. that uh, the rat was supposed to be breathing. It was actually pioneered by Dr. Johann Kleistra and Dr. Peter Bennett of Duke University. Uh, they consulted on the film. Uh, the only reason they cut to the actors' faces between the rat was to avoid showing the rats defecating from momentary panic as they began breathing the fluid. <laughs> so you basically shit yourself. Well, yeah. the, rat, the animals shit themselves because they're panicking so much. So they didn't want to have rats pooping repeatedly in the scene. So they used different rats and cut back. But it actually worked. All the rats survived and were given antibiotic shots by a vet. Uh, however, unfortunately, the rat that actually appeared in the film died of natural causes a few weeks before the film opened. Yet, James Cameron didn't dedicate it to him. Come on, bro. That rat was, you know, a valued crew member. Mm. Uh, the crew spent so much time in the tank filming that they forced them to undergo decompression before surfacing. James Cameron, in fact, would often watch dailies through the glass window of the decompression chamber. Dedication. Well, and also, Jeez. what else the hell are you going to do? Yeah. So you might as well. You play on your phone. Oh, wait. And uh, at the time, it was the largest underwater set in the world. Seven million gallons of water. Uh, it, took, it was a half-completed nuclear reactor facility in South Carolina. And in fact, until just a few years ago, the set was still there. The rig hmm. and everything just sat there. It had, they, they had fenced it off and had property of 20th Century Fox or whoever the distributor, distributor uh, studio was. But it, until a few years ago, you could actually probably could easily just sneak in yeah. check out the set. In fact, if I was homeless in South Carolina I'd, and knew of this, swimming. I would just go live in it. Live on the abyss set. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, let me see. And sell it out piece by piece on eBay. Uh, the water in the tanks, was so, because it was so much water, it was so heavily chlorinated, uh, a lot of the actors' hair became green and some of them even went white from mm, being in the water geez. so much. It was so chlorinated. So. Uh, and in fact, if their eyes were open, her eyes were open as she's towing her back. So you can't move. Your eyes are probably on fire. Yeah. Holding your breath. And why overchlorinate? That doesn't make I any guess, sense. Well, I mean, again, it was the largest tank at the time, so I guess they overcompensated they didn't, they didn't because the, they didn't want it to yeah. go green or they could delay filming. You know, if it went green one night, then they have to, you know, chemically alter it, and that usually takes a day or two for the, that to, it to kill the stuff. So mm. I guess they just figured, let's just be better safe than sorry. And then they didn't have, I guess it's easier to dye somebody's hair than to clean a 7 million gallon tank. <laughs> yeah, I guess is so. It's a logic. I would assume. Uh, the sub chase in this, which looks really good, uh, I think, especially compared to the last un previous films underwater scenes, uh, were actually models suspended on wires in a smoky environment and filmed in slow motion. Although when you watch it, it looks it looks pretty good. The, the editing is a, does a great job of cutting between underwater things happening and then like the subs moving. So you you really don't get any kind of sense that there's any difference between. Them. At least I didn't when I was watching uh, personally. Uh, this is interesting because I'm an Orson Scott Card fan of his books, not his political views. Uh, but he contacted uh, Orson Scott Card before filming to do the, uh, the novelization. And at first he didn't want to, but once he learned that the director was James Cameron, uh, who did The Terminator and Aliens, he decided, yeah, I'll write that novel. Uh, but the cool thing is the, uh, the novel actually deals with a lot of, uh, not that I'm going to read it, but uh, it deals with a lot of uh, the Bud and Lindsay story before the film, leading up to it. <laughs> So it fills Normal in, couple. yeah, it basically just fills in why they divorce and all that. So, but it does add 
a lot of stuff that they consulted with, he consulted with Cameron with that flesh, again, like the special edition, flesh out the characters more. So if you like this movie more than I do, enough to read the novelization, you can get a lot more out of it. Hmm. It's not just a straight-up novelization. That'd uh, be odd. This is, this is a movie with several firsts. It was the first feature film to have used an early version of Photoshop for certain scenes. Huh. And also, it was the first movie released under the THX Laserdisc program. What's a Laserdisc, somebody young out there might say? You know what a record is? Because vinyl's really big right now. Yeah. It's back in vogue, so to speak, to use a 90s term to describe a 60s technology. Uh, but imagine a vinyl record, twice as thick, and like the, and a DVD. That's what Laserdisc was. 480p surround sound, 4.1 surround sound. <laughs> Huge. These things were huge. And then D- they didn't catch on as much. They were so expensive. And DVD comes out and bye-bye Laserdisc. Nobody gives a fuck and remembers you at all. My grandparents had one. Again. I watched Jumanji The rich guy it. over here. <laughs> grandparents. Yeah, maybe. But uh, the funny thing is when my, my parents bought a bed and breakfast in California in Big Bear Lake. Rich guy over here. Hey, I don't see any of that. <laughs> That's all. Until they die, I don't see a dime. <laughs> I get perks. I get perks. I'm not going to admit. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Deny. Next time you but go, anyway, but if anybody go. lives in Big Bear Lake, go see the Knickerbocker Bed and Breakfast, and you know, yeah. tell them Trace sent you, and maybe I can talk them into giving you a discount. Yep. Maybe, like I said. But anyway, when they were cleaning that place out, they found a ton of laser discs, which they found Star Wars, mm. uh, Dune, Jurassic Park, and I was like, oh, cool. And they had the player. Well, after I scrounged around, this the guy that owned it before him was a pack rat. I mean, I had to dig through crap. I finally found cables, uh, red, uh, red, yellow, and white audio video cables hooked up to laser disc player. And watch Star Wars in 480p on Laserdisc, and believe me, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> it was nostalgic, and I was like, yeah, this is exactly how I remember it looking when I was a kid. Yeah. And then, hmm, 1080p Blu-ray something, over here. Something's like, not making yeah. sense. When a movie looks as good on 1080p as it did back in, it looks better in 1080p than it did from the 80s or 70s or 90s, yeah. it's not worth watching in vintage style. Uh, the Abyss you can watch in HD, and aside from a few you know, green screen shots, it's still going to look really, really good. Leviathan and Deep Star 6, if, if you have a VHS player, watch it on VHS. It's probably much more enjoyable to add that nostalgic factor in. Not with The Abyss. It's a James Cameron film. It's beautiful. It looks fantastic in 1080, 1080p. Unlike a movie we're going to do in a week or two, that looks terrible in 1080p mm. because... You see wires, you see prosthetics, you see everything that you're not supposed to see back in the day. But anyway, uh, 40% of all the live-action principal photography was actually shot underwater. So that's a lot of underwater filming for a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and 40% of it was literally done under the sea. So, under the sea. Uh, the blue, the striped wire scene, which when, uh, Ed Harris is at the bottom of the, or in the titular abyss, cutting the wires uh and i don't know if anybody else but when i was a kid i was like okay what you know i'd pause it on dvd or vhs recording it off of tnt and i'd stare at okay which one is the white and blue and which one's the black and yellow well if you think you could tell you're wrong because they were both filmed with two black and white wires Hmm. so there is literally no difference when you're watching it but luckily he clicks the right one and nobody dies (laughs) Uh, the extended scenes with the aliens were cut from the theatrical release because it would have made the film almost three hours long, which, again, 1989, a film running that long, that was pretty much a kiss of death for it at the theater. Because it's not like nowadays, Civil War is two and a half hours, but that sucker is showing on three or four screens per theater. Yeah. You know, but back in the day, everything, pretty much at one theater, it would be, you, you, you really didn't show things on multiple screens because they'd only get one print of the film 
because making stuff on film was very expensive uh, to ship them out to theaters. And uh, it was just a big commercial risk for that long, for a film that long to be at a theater. But then a few years later, you know, in the 90s, you get uh, Dances with Wolves. That kind of, that was one of the first films that kind of proved that you could be financially, fiscally uh, successful with a long-running film. But then Costner did it again with Waterworld. And that, well, he didn't direct that one, but didn't quite work for that. Uh, Postman. <laughs> bigger than the bomb that dropped on that fictional world before that took place. Uh, although, honestly, if you look, the sto- that movie isn't that bad. It's just mired with problems. Mm. It could have been, they, they, they could have made a, a good film with some cuts. Because, and that, I mean, you know, that and Water, the, the one-two combination of Postman and Waterworld, that's why you didn't see Kevin Costner for a long time in big name roles. Which is sad because I, I, he's a good. I think he's good. Yeah, I'm a Kevin Costner fan. I mean, he's doing all right. <laughs> yeah, he's doing good. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the role of Commodore DeMarco was originally meant for Lance Henriksen, another Cameron alumni, but he couldn't appear due to a scheduling conflict, as we see too many times in a lot of these films. Uh, and of course, Cameron used him on Aliens, Terminator. He was a Cameron staple, so would have been cool to see him, but alas, it was not meant to be. And finally, in terms of the trivia, the final shot of the film where Bud and Lindsay are hugging each other after he walks out of the alien, you know, I guess base, if you want to call it, after it rises out of the ocean, uh, was not actually Ed Harris or uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. That was filmed with two extras after principal photography was completed. So that's why it's a long shot and they're kissing so you can't see their faces. So, but again, you never would know unless you knew that because Mm. it's not like Face Off, which I watched recently because it was on Netflix, how... Every shot, the stuntmen stare at the camera and yes. face off. It's just like, oh, I love Cage so much, but that's not Cage. Face off is so overrated. It's 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 so it's bad. Like there are people I know that like think it's like an awesome action movie. No, it's which not. I disagree. It's, it's a bad movie. <laughs> it's so bad, it's good. And it and it's ba- and one of the reasons it's so bad is because it's Nicolas Cage against John Travolta. And this is good. This is peak Travolta, in my opinion. Let me phrase that. Pulp Fiction is peak Travolta. But this is, he's still riding that wave. This is, Face Off was where it started to go down. There you go. Like, the, the climactic <laughs> stunt where they're flying off the boat, they're staring at the camera. Both stuntmen blatantly. <laughs> Literally. Don't hey, there's the, the camera. camera. There's the camera. And the, here's the crazy thing. They go to it, they, they do two cuts. The first shot, one of, you can tell it's the angle where he's, I guess he's trying to hide his face, but then it goes to the angle where they're staring right at the camera. Yeah. But uh, you don't have to worry about that in the abyss because a lot of them did their own stunts, so you don't have to really worry about that. But uh, what if our new little mini micro segment as to who could have been who originally approached for, the, approached for the role of Bud, none other than our favorite Jew hater, Mel Gibson, hmm. and also Jeff Bridges, which I th- they did good with Ed Harris in this role. This uh, Ed Harris is a great everyman kind of role to where. You just, I mean, this is just this is a, the character of Bud is just a simple guy who's trying to take care of his people and do his job. Ed Harris nails it. Mel Gibson, I could see, yeah, I'm sure he could do it. 1989, Mel Gibson, I'm sure he could, but it, I don't know. There's just Ed Harris makes me forget I'm watching Ed Harris. It makes me think about he he does a good job of being a character. To where like I see that I understand that character. He just happens to look like Ed Harris, whereas you know. Jeff Bridges probably could have pulled it off too because I think he's he's kind of a chameleon in that sense, in that he kind of you kind of lose your you forget you're watching Jeff Bridges you you see that character. He's a great actor. Yeah, 
Mel Gibson, I think, could do it, but I think he would be the least likely to have pulled it off as every man, as an, in an every man kind of performance as Ed Harris does or as Jeff Bridges could. But any, any three of those would have been, you know, still probably would have worked, although I think they really did. I don't, I don't as we talk about some, so many times, we're like, oh, I'd love to see this version of the film with this person being that role just to see what they could have done with it. Based on these other two choices, I don't need to see that version. What if they did cast Mel Gibson and Mel Gibson couldn't hold his breath as long as Ted Harris? <laughs> He'd be dead. He wouldn't have Braveheart. Yeah. But then also... He would, yeah, all that other stuff would have been nothing. He would have been remembered. Oh, and, he could have been such a great actor. And also, the tragic thing is, James Cameron never would have been able to make another film, most likely. Oh, wow. So we wouldn't have had Terminator 2. How different things could have been. Could have been. Although, even though John Landis got a stuntman and a child killed on set, he made other films. Yeah. So Cameron probably could have rebounded. But we wouldn't have Braveheart, and that would be sad. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, my score, uh, like I said before, I think recently I'd like to start doing you know, maybe a critical store, score and then my personal score. This one, they'd actually be the same because James Cameron is a perfectionist, but he's also a fantastic... He's one of the best directors. I'd put him in the top ten. Uh, possibly top five. I have to really sit down and think. But, I mean, Cameron, as a writer... No, I would say definitely top five. I mean... Alien, on, the, on Aliens and Terminator 1 even alone, but then throwing Terminator 2 in the mix, I mean, and ri- written and directed both of those, yeah, definitely top five for me. Uh, he's, he's phenomenal. And I don't think Ridley Scott's style has changed a lot. If you look at Legend or Blade Runner and then, or Alien and then look at, you know, Robin Hood or uh, even Prometheus, you know, where he's, he's kind of, and hopefully Blade Runner 2 doesn't suck. Please, God, don't let it suck. Uh, you know he's kind of going back to his older kind of style but I don't know I think you know Cameron didn't lose what he had when he was making movies when he was young in terms of I think his stylistics I think Spielberg's lost a lot of that you know you go from Raiders Jaws uh, you know Saving Private Ryan now you're making War Horse and I forget the last one that sucked or the last movie he did I think was actually pretty decent Lincoln Lincoln wasn't bad but it wasn't like a, a masterfully directed movie in turn, like a Spielbergian film in that regard, if anybody out there gets what I'm saying. <laughs> it oh, was his Spielberg. very last film that he did. It seems like I'm forgetting something. Let's see. You are forgetting. Bridge, Bridge of Spies was fantastic. Yeah, I thought it was. That too. was, uh, that, but I mean, oh, see, I think, okay, after Munich, and he, he Spielberg himself says that he hates Munich, and that he did uh, Lincoln as an apology to Munich because it was so bad. Like, bullshit, Munich is fantastic. Yeah, according to the community, it's pretty good. I personally think that's one of Spielberg's best films, especially from a directing standpoint. That film is fantastic. And again, Eric Bana's in it, underrated. Love Eric Bana. Uh, and then after that, his worst film, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Mm. And then uh, him and... Have you ever revisited that movie? No. I've, I saw it one time at a theater. I have never watched yeah, it again. Me Believe either. me, I thought about it a couple of times. Like, I'll just put it on. I thought it was 6.2. Because some people can't look past nostalgia. Wow. I mean, my, I mean that movie is oh, wait, bad. We can look at the numbers. Oh, yeah. Oh, like we realized, or you showed me the other <laughs> yeah. one. Let's see. The, the highest rated age group. We're going off topic a little bit, but bear yeah. with us. This is important, though. This, this, is, is, important. Science, this is science. <laughs> Let's see. 6.6, and that's females, 45 plus. It's because Harrison Ford. It's Shia LaBeouf. No, this is 45-year-old females. They're uh, still, uh, they're yeah. st- like Harrison Ford still, and he does still got it. He's still I understand <laughs> that. But I think that's biased. And females under 18, 6.5, second highest rating because of Shia LaBeouf at that point, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, the IMDb staff knows what's up. 
Where are they at? Five point six. <laughs> I wouldn't even give it that high. I know, but I, I mean, mean that's their average. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm surprised as high as it is, but I mean, it is the lowest of the averages. Yeah. But I mean, Spielberg, fantastic director. He's coming back. Like, I think he's he he hasn't lost it totally. I think really Scott's lost it and is really trying to get, I guess, for lack of a better word, his mojo back. But that's just me. But I'm a super Ridley Scott fanboy. I love his earlier stuff, and his later stuff just tends to disappoint me a little bit. Doesn't have that same spark. He was an innovator, and now he's not. But I, I and I think there's room for he. But the thing is, he innovated, but then he doesn't keep up with that modern in modern standards, so to speak. Whereas James Cameron, you know, of course he's making. I don't know if we need four Avatar sequels, but I mean, Avatar was phenomenal in terms of. You know, again, James Cameron's the do. whole package. Yeah, <laughs> he really thinks we do. And Avatar Land at Universal Studios or something. I thought I heard a mention of. Oh, really? Jeez. Or something. You know, so but I mean, James Cameron. I don't know how that movie made some. I mean, it's fine, but it's good. But it to, must be the ticket sale, like the increased 3D tickets and all that stuff. I would imagine that, but also to this day, <coughs> if if you ask me what was the best, like in terms of 3D movie that I saw in a theater, it was Avatar. Yeah, like the. I mean, I still remember the scene where he arrives on uh, Pandora and like the big vehicles going by him in 3D with like the dust and particle effects. Yeah, I was like, damn, that's like straight out of a rot. Like, yeah, it the 3D really made a difference. Huh. Uh, I thought for that film in particular. Yeah, even though when you watch it without 3D, because Cameron's such a good director, as evidence in The Abyss as well, that there's no blatant 3D shots. Like, you That's go true. watch Texas Chainsaw 3D or My Bloody Valentine 3D. You can be like, there's a 3D face. shot. There's a 3D shot. There's a finger in your face. Exactly. As I was watching The Abysmal Gods of Egypt recently, uh, I, I, don't even know, I don't even know if that, was in, that one was in 3D. But I would not be surprised if it wasn't because there were fucking 3D shots throughout the film. But anyway, uh, critically, uh, as, a criti- critique, as a critique score for The Abyss, I give it a 9. Well, extremely well written character development uh, looks fantastic, and then the acting, Ed Harris. Yeah, and he's and he, even though he's the main character and he's supported by Mary Liz Mastrantonio and Michael Bean for the uh, you know for the bigger names in it, it's still like, it's still just so well done, like good chemistry. So I'm not sure what how much of a role Cameron had in casting. I would imagine he probably has a little bit more hands on. Than some other directors because of just how he is with his perfection, perfectionist uh, standards. But great chemistry and especially Ed Harris versus Michael Bean, like they, you know, that dichotomy works really well. And this was one of the not the I guess the first, but you know, Michael Bean then went on to play a villain in Tombstone, and so he and he, he's good as you know he's he can pull off Kyle Reese as a hero, Johnny Ringo, or he can be a villain and do it well, very well. Ed Harris same way. Same damn way. But my personal score for the film, I would also give it a nine simply because I think this is a very underrated film in Cameron's catalog. Because, but I mean, I understand why. A- the Aliens, Terminator 1 and 2, Avatar, Titanic. I mean, some of the, the biggest films of all time. It's easy to see how people just might, oh yeah, I forgot he did that one. Mm. Uh, but it's definitely worth revisiting. In fact, I was honestly shocked that this was 89. I would have, if I would have guessed before I looked it up, I would have assumed, you know, pre Jurassic Park, so 91, right. early, early 90s. No, 89. Probably one of the best, in terms of direction, this is probably one of the, just one of the, the whole, t- the films we've even done on the podcast, I would say, in terms of, again, the, the other ones in this, I would say, are like this, we Aliens and Terminator. 
but the whole package of every aspect of the film, directing, writing, acting, music, production value, everything, one of the best of the decade in terms of the whole package. Yeah. Uh, and in my opinion, a pretty damn good movie. Hmm. I can, but I, I, at the same time, I can understand the critiques of it. Oh, it's boring or it's too long. Yeah, I mean, but it's a, it's a friendly alien movie. E.T.'s boring too in points. Love friendly but, aliens. Yeah, and, and also, you know, for this one to be a, a success as well, where the previous ones we talked about really, you know, I don't have the document, the uh, numbers in front of me again to reference it, but uh, it seems to me they, they weren't really successes, but, you know, more of that. Those were, Deep Star 6 and Leviathan were more of what you would, I guess, would assume would sell tickets. I know I would. Like, yeah, if you make it a scary movie, you know, add that horror twist, that's horror sci-fi, you'll probably sell more because people want to see something scary yeah, and that kind of thing. But, you know, Benevolent Aliens Under the Sea, in 1989, that's a pretty different, but you know, still. I mean, it may. I got to go back into my three pages of notes. Uh, worldwide was 90, and then another 28 again in rentals. So I mean, it made over 100 million dollars yeah. in 1989 money, which is a lot. And so, it ended the whole streak of underwater movies, huh? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> now you know, like, hey, what? Cameron dropped the mic. Yeah, exactly. He dropped the boom mic. Boom. Like, go home. What? Go make what? something else. Sean Cunningham, I'm looking at you. You want to step to the Cameron? <laughs> Fuck you! I'm gonna go. Dis- I'm gonna go dis- rediscover Titanic and go make, make Terminator Two. Great <laughs> yeah, movies that like... came out in the early '90s. Exactly. Exactly. Which there were. So. <laughs> yep. But uh, let's see. In the real world, again, this released August 9th, 1989. Uh, let's see. The same day, the asteroid 4769 Calistalia is the first asteroid directly imaged by radar from Arecibo Observatory. Sorry, slow news day that day. <laughs> so rock and sky uh, again I wrote I did these notes a week or two ago so I don't remember what else was around it but that believe me around August 9th 1989 that was the most interesting thing that was happening see now why did they do that cover but do it the other way to where it looks like the abyss you know going down we're looking at this alternate movie cover where it's their faces yeah, yeah. if they flipped it I guess because then it would be too obvious that their faces maybe I guess but then what's that that's just a blue crack <laughs> to me, that's more obvious that it's faces. But anyway, it's a you know there's that there's a, that illusion where like is it a candlestick or two people's faces? Yeah, the silhouettes. Same thing, but they did it horizontally to where, it's like I'm, I'm thinking like is that a porno? Because they're having sex and it's called the abyss. What is this about? Well, he's about to bite her nose and she's about to bite her chin. <laughs> or maybe that's the resuscitation scene. <laughs> oh, that could maybe. be it. I don't that's, know. That's probably why. Who knows? The regular cover is fine. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, just that one works with the Y descending in, as the abyss. Yeah. So that works out really well. All right, the moment you've been waiting for. The 80s movie, Underwater Checklist. So, all <laughs> right, here we go. Is there only one African-American? Check. Uh, what was her name? One Night, I think was her name, nickname. Uh, one Night? Yeah, one Night. Kimberly Scott was One Night. That was her nickname. Uh, does it involve an escape to the surface? Check. Again, oh, I know that. her last name was Standing. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> uh, it makes sense now, even though they don't say her name, last yeah. name in the movie. I don't, <laughs> not that I remember, at least. I think one night. No, her last name was Standing. Check on an escape to the surface. Alien. Monster. Check. Although this one is the only one that's not hostile. Mm. Close-up of an 80s monitor with text typing. A hell of a lot of it. Especially yeah, it at the end. Threat of nuclear detonation in an underwater movie. Check. This was this one in Deep Star Six. Share that one. One character with an 80s mustache. Check. Michael hey. Bean. Rocking it. Character narrowly escapes a flooding room. Check. Ed Harris survives thanks to his wedding ring. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. 
Main couple solidifies their shaky relationship and survive. <laughs> Check. Danger yeah. of running out of air? Check. They only have yeah. a few hours. Danger of decompression? It's a big one in this one, and just like Deep Star 6, somebody dies because of... Although, well, no, I guess Michael Bean would actually die from implosion, but they have the constant threat of decompression. So, implosion just like in Leviathan, they've mentioned implosion. Mm. Uh, underwater collision? Check. Two subs ramming each other off the underwater roads. Sweet. Fist fight between characters? Ed Harris versus Michael Bean. Check. Firearms? <laughs> Navy SEALs brought a whole ton of them onto a oil rig for some reason. They came heavily armed to, you know, rescue a submarine <laughs> with uh, automatic weapons. Okay, whatever. Anyway, somebody flips so out? Check. Michael Bean. Defibrillator comes into play. Check. And in this one, it's actually for what it's designed for, for trying to revive the dead, as opposed to uh, Deep Star 6, where they use a makeshift defibrillator to shock the monster. Final battle on the surface? Nope. Not in this one. Russians? Check. Coffee thinks it's Russians doing everything. <laughs> uh, hurricane prevents evac? Check. As it, that's what strands them on the bottom to begin with, the bad weather. Uh... Garfield reference? Check. There's a Garfield... Back in the 80s, people would have those stuffed animal Garfields with suction cups on their rearview mirrors and in their uh -huh. homes. There's one in the, one of the portholes in this film. Kick-ass VHS art. Eh, it's good, but it's not 80s style in right. terms of like Deep Star 6 being that painted, that you know, picture of the suit being ripped in half. Leviathan had the dramatic uh, scene or shot of uh, what Peter Weller carrying a half-naked girl to the surface. This one just has uh, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio or some version of just the text with the Y going down. Cool poster, but not for the criteria for this particular one in terms of VHS art. So not on that one. Characters have call signs, check. One Night being one of them, and then Catfish was another one. Uh, mining Operation, check. And does this one have a Hot Shots Part 2 actor? Unfortunately, no, it falls short. Aww. So I guess that's, the, that's a good tell, tell. Do you want a good underwater movie? <laughs> you don't have a Hot Shots Part 2 actor. You don't have kick-ass VHS art, and you don't have a final battle between the characters and the whatever the enemy is on the surface. But if you stick to the other checklist ones, you're going to have a hundred-plus million-dollar movie on your hands. So there you go. We cracked the code. That's it. That's all it takes. underwater go movies. Go out and make your movie. There you go. <laughs> but, of course, uh, drop us an email at 80srevisited at gmail.com on Facebook or uh, Twitter at AwesomePods and the Internet as well. Uh, don't forget, Awesome Podcast Network means there's it's a network full of podcasts. Uh, lots of classic episodes of all your favorites. Duo Attack, Geekly Dose, the Jesse Sedgley Podcast, if you want to hear some conversations that strangers have. And Why Don't You Know This and Republic City Report that Tim Bridgewater, our friend, uh, did for, I, mean, I think that show, The Legend of Korra. That's over, though, I think. Yeah. That like ended a while back. Yeah, but if you like that show, Four strong seasons. There you go. Or something like that. Mm, excuse me. And as always, a big shout out to our friends in Lafayette, John and James at Now Versus Nostalgia. And uh, speaking of email, we got another email from our good friend, uh, Ben Wyatt, which he, he uh, I'll, I'll read the email first, but he, sure. okay, Ben, I'm sorry, but I'm going to attempt to read it in an Australian accent. No offense. It's just fun for me. It's fun. I don't mean to offend anybody. Full disclosure. This is, this is comedy, so it's not meant to be offensive. Good night, yeah. mates. I've fallen behind on a bunch of episodes, but heard you respond to my email on the Deep Star Sucks episode. Wyatt is pronounced the same way you would say Wyatt App. So I think we were right. Wyatt. We were, that it would just be Wyatt, not Wyatt. We speculated. But oh, we got to say it in the, the way they say it. Wyatt. 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 All right, Ben. Ben, let us know how we did on that. Uh, now, okay. Uh, now for video games. I'm not going to read the rest uh, in the accent because I don't want to offend any 
any uh, as long as you don't say didgeridoo. Apparently, they find that offensive. Really? That's what I heard. Hey, Confirm ben, that for me. Ben, is that, yeah, let us know. Is that true? Uh, now for the video game censorship in Australia. Without doing much fact-checking, I can tell you that Blitz the League wasn't released here because you can use steroids in it. Saints Row 4 had to have one mission removed for our version before being allowed. Fallout 3 had morphine changed to MedX worldwide because of Australia. Huh. Thanks a lot. Uh, Left 4 Dead 2 was heavily edited for us, and I've attached a YouTube video that shows the differences, which, of course, I can't give to you only or let y'all watch but just youtube it i'm sure you'll find right. it uh the last notable game was mortal kombat from 2011 which was mortal kombat 9 i believe was banned for two years until the r18 rating was brought in uh so there you go there's the facts from born and raised aussie wow. letting you know that despite what we kind of hear over here and we hear it a lot or hey, let me rephrase that when i used to get free issues of game informer for being a member of gamestop's reward program or whatever yeah. and actually got game magazine every yet she would have something about how this game was censored or whatever in australia so there was a lot of disinformation going around for the most part at least that i remember reading this is years ago again because now i uh thanks to if you have amazon prime you get video games for dirt cheap if you get them brand new yep. you save 20 percent. just letting you know trying to save money yep <laughs> uh penny saves is a penny earned ben franklin motherfuckers i think <laughs> drop the mic somebody anyway drop the kite with the key. No microphones back there. I don't think he said that. <laughs> Some, I'm pretty sure he did. Look that, look that shit up. Penny saves the penny? Yeah, Isn't Abraham Lincoln on the penny, though? Yeah. Ben Franklin. Okay, look it up. Now I'm confused. Some, <laughs> the timeline doesn't really I make sense. I see what sense. you're saying. You make perfect sense. <laughs> but was Abe Lincoln always on the penny? I wouldn't think so. Let's, we, uh, this is your historical bit for the, <laughs> for the month. Quote. Who said it? Who said it? I got to know. I'm all, I'm, uh, come on. Come on. I, ben Franklin, motherfuckers! <laughs> all right. Okay, but you did make so a good how point. how did he do that? The ben just, Franklin, it, it didn't time happen. traveler. Hey, maybe that kite struck him. Yeah, he zapped off into another time, yeah. like uh, oh, 1963. He's like going around. Like <laughs> ben Franklin's at his house, you know, with his... Having his drunken orgies, because that's what he actually had yeah. all the time. Like, ha, ha, a penny saved is a penny earned. <laughs> that Ben always saying crazy shit that nobody understands. <laughs> and then, like, his great-great-grandson. Oh, Wait a man. second. That's what he... Like, whoa. That's a movie in itself. You know, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Copyright, 80s Revisited, 2016. Ben Franklin, Time Traveler. Uh, yeah, if you make that movie, I'll write that story. You owe me money. Well, it's basically that uh, Stephen King story. You know, he zaps to 1960. Oh, yeah. He starts to get mad at Kennedy. <laughs> he assassinates <laughs> him. And then he zaps back. And so every time it's I like, see I'll Franco in something now, I think like, oh, we watched some period piece with him. Not period piece, but <laughs> something with Franco the other Autumn had on. I'm like, oh, he, had, he still had his goatee from, like, he has the beginning of that sh- of 11, 22, 63. I'm like, oh, who's he, where's he going to, what's he going to do now? Every time I see him in something, I think he's trying to stop something. So they say, Ben Franklin also said, a penny saved is a penny earned. However, whether he really said these exact words or a similar phrase that has been misquoted for many years remains a controversy. That's highly likely because the dude, you know, was the 1700s, early yeah. 1800s, I guess. So crazy. It easily could have been mis. It's like the, it's like telephone, the game telephone. I'm, he could have said like, "Ah, that tree is brown," and somebody's like, "Ah, you're right, Ben. A penny saved is a penny earned." Well, the original yeah. version was in 1633. Uh, a penny spot is twice got. Hmm. Okay. We'll have to we'll have to put our crack team of investigators on it to f- maybe find the the uh, original epistemology of the the phrase. 
Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so Ben, thanks for that. And also, unbeknownst to us until just now, Ben actually hosts a podcast as well, so free plug for you about to happen. Well, he finished his email, I'll let him say it as well. In his own words, I host the Asia Mania podcast. We've done 103 episodes and would love to get you guys on sometime to co-host an episode with me. Sounds cool, mate. Uh, just don't make me as cross as a frog in a sock. Uh, we talk TV, movies, gaming, pro wrestling, and finish with off with reviewing a film that must be at least loosely Asian. I think The Crow was the le- least Asian film, but it did star Brandon Lee and Bai Ling. So yeah, that passes. Uh, anyway, you do a great show, and please keep it up. Thank you very much. P.S. I think Big, big, tribal, big Trouble in Little China stinks. Fuck you, Ben. <laughs> Fuck you. And your whole island of criminals. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. JK, everybody. Wink, wink. Whatever. Nah. Hey. If you want to be in Daniel's camp, that's fine. You're wrong, but I accept your wrong opinion because opinions can be wrong. The board game's about to come out for that. Wait, wait, what? what? Yeah, they uh, legendary. Did you play that? Oh, wait. They're doing a legendary skin of that game, like adding their own. Big stuff Trouble in Little it. China. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I'll buy that one. Save your money, Jesse. I want that on my shelf. <laughs> okay. We play board games every week over at Jesse's. And that's but, something you can play in Australia. That might not be so, uh, you know, restrictive. <laughs> But as we know now, it's really not that restrictive. Although yeah. I'm glad y'all finally got Mortal Kombat 9 because that game was fucking incredible. And hopefully y'all got 10 as well. Oh, hell yeah. Looking at <laughs> pictures of legendary Big Trouble in Little China. Fuck yeah. Yep. That is so amazing. <laughs> it's an out of left field uh, property. Well, I mean, they have a, a comic book series of it now. Uh, and of course, John cool. Carpenter is really big right now. And I mean, he's... Uh, I, I, He's, he's, he's really popular right now because his, his albums have lost themes, and he's also doing a tour, which I'm hoping to go to in Dallas where, when he uh, does it in mid, uh, mid, uh, late June, excuse me, where him and his band are doing all his own, th- uh, he's doing the lost themes albums, but also remixes of his movie themes. Yeah. And he's going to play them live, so I'm hoping to, I'll be able to make that. Wow. But anyway, hey, that's, that sounds great, uh, Ben, with your podcast. So uh, I love, uh, I'm not sure, like, if, uh, because I printed out your email and I didn't re- actually read it all until now uh, for the podcast. For so because we, we like to do things spur of the moment here at Age Revisited, as you know. <laughs> but I'm going to go check out your podcast. So, uh, but I I personally love, uh, especially martial arts film and Asian horror and all that kind of stuff. So I will definitely be giving you guys a listen. 103 episodes, man. Congratulations. We're on 147. So yeah, you better crank some out to catch up. <laughs> but uh, anyway, again, thanks for writing and thanks for listening. More importantly, and I'll be checking you guys out. And hope all of our other listeners, if you like anything related to that. In fact, I will add the Asia Mania podcast to our plug list at the end of the episodes from now on for you, my friend. So thanks again for writing and we'll talk to you soon, I hope. And everybody else, thanks for thanks for listening. Again, we appreciate it. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know how good or how bad we are. Either way, we'll talk about it and we'll work through our problems together. We can do this. We can do it. Exactly. Uh, let's see. It seems like I'm forgetting something, but if I am, I'll mention it next week. But yeah, so now we've go. surfaced. We've escaped to the surface. <laughs> We're done being at the bottom of the ocean for three long weeks. And we didn't have to decompress. So, yeah. actually, we do need to decompress. We need to decompress of watching underwater movies for a good long yeah. time until you want to watch The Abyss again. Uh, which, again, you don't need to, That's not a. That's the best of it. Yeah. Don't, if, you're, if, you're, if you're stuck under the sea and you've got to only watch one of these, I recommend The Abyss. A, it's the longest, so you'll kind of get your money's worth or time's worth, so to speak, I guess. Because you could pretty much watch both the other two in the time it would take you to watch just The Abyss. But I think your time will be better spent watching The Abyss because you're watching a good movie. And that's the bottom line because <laughs> Trey said so. Trey but anyway, until next week. Actually, next. Oh, I'm sorry. Next week, 
I think we're, it'll be another first for 80s Revisited. I, if I remember correctly, it will be our first biography film. Our first film based on a true story. Well, no. Well, Star Wars. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, well, yeah, that was a long I mean, time ago. That was though. a long time ago. Some people far, don't believe that, Jesse. Some people are anti-truthers Skeptics. on Star Wars being a real film. Because, you know, where's that technology? It was a long time ago. I got to see far, far away. We haven't gotten there yet. They haven't found us yet. Just give it time. Just give it time. It'll be proven to be a true story. But I'm pretty sure we'll be doing our first biopic, and it is none other than the star-making role for none other than Lou Diamond Phillips as we head out to California for the 50s music scene as we talk about La Bamba, the 1987... Yep, checking my notes. Yep, just making sure I said it right. 1987 film... Starring Lou Diamond Phillips, chronicling the life of Richie Valens. Hmm. So tune in next time. Uh, if you want to prepare for, for that film when we're talking about it, I would highly recommend sneak preview of the, of the podcast next week. Download the soundtrack. It's fantastic. So until next week, everybody, I remain Trey. Hey, where was Oh, no, Jeff, I'm going back underwater. Actually, we're on the surface again. Yeah. Oh, hey, it was just a wave. Rogue yeah, wave. <laughs> just a wave. Rogue wave. So we'll see you next week, everybody. And until then, I already said all that part. Cowabunga! On Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods.